Okay, please take a seat. And a very warm welcome to you. If I haven't met you, my name's Campbell, pastor here at Cornerstone Presbyterian. And warm welcome to our church family and, and uh, visitors. Please stay behind and have a cup of tea and coffee with us. We'd love to, the opportunity to get to know you. And we're starting a series today on the book of Revelation. And so please open your, your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And... We're going to do, we're going to see how far we get with this and we'll, we'll go for a time in the book of Revelation and then if we feel we need a break, we'll go to another part of the Bible and then we'll come back to Revelation. But, uh, and I'm not going to rush it. I, I, I want, to, want to really understand this, this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible, so important. And so we're not going to rush through it. We're just going to take a piece at a time and see how we go with that. known underground churches, asked this of his congregation, had they successfully spread the gospel throughout their city? If tomorrow morning the early rain covenant church, that's the name of their church, suddenly disappeared from the city of Chengdu, if each of us vanished into thin air, would this city be any different? Would anyone miss us? Almost three months later, Wang's Hypothetical scenario is being put to the test. The church in southwest China has been shattered and Wang and his wife remain in detention after police arrested more than 100 early rain church members in December. Many of those who have been detained, who haven't been detained are in hiding. Others have been sent away from Chengdu and barred from returning. Some, including Wang's mother and his young son, are under close surveillance Wang and his wife are being charged for inciting subversion, a crime that carries a penalty of up to 15 years imprisonment. Early Rain is the latest victim of what Chinese Christians and rights activists say is the worst crackdown on religion since the country's cultural revolution when, Mao Zedong, when the Mao Zedong government vowed to eradicate religion. How would the Australian church go if the government cracked down on the church as it is cracking down on the church in China? If it was closing churches, in fact, they're demolishing churches in China, they're pulling down crosses, they are imprisoning pastors and leaders, and they are putting regular Christians, men, women, and children, under close surveillance. How would we go if our government started to do that to us in Australia? Well, the book of Revelation was written to churches who were facing exactly those kinds of challenges. The book of Revelation was written to a church that was suffering and that was about to enter into a whole lot more persecution and suffering. 
It was written to show the church why those things were happening. It was written to show that there is, in fact, a great invisible war raging around us all the time. That's what we're going to see from the book of Revelation. We're going to see that what we can see and hear is only a very small part of what is going on in this world and that there is a, an invisible spiritual world that very much has an impact on, on your life, on the life of our church, and we need to, to know about this. And the book of Revelation shows that things are far, far more dangerous than what they might seem with our eyes and ears, but also that the future of the church is far, far more certain and good than what you might think as well. Let me read some words to you. Apocalypse, Armageddon, the four horsemen, the dragon with seven heads and ten horns, the mark of the beast, six, 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 the millennium, the lake of fire, the pearly gates, the street, streets paved with gold. All of these very familiar expressions are found in the book of Revelation. They're derived from the book of Revelation. And some Christians, in fact, uh, it might be most, find the book of Revelation to be the most bizarre, uh, the strangest, and the most difficult of all the books of the Bible to understand. And it might encourage you to know that John Calvin, although he wrote commentaries on almost every book of the Bible, did not write a commentary on the book of Revelation because he didn't feel as though he understood it well enough in order to be able to comment on it. And so, yes, it is a difficult book. But it is also a wonderful book. It's important, deeply important. And it's important because it, it explains to us suffering and persecution. It explains why you are already suffering for your faith. And it explains and it tells us and promises that we are certain to face more suffering for our Christian faith. And so here we are at the book of Revelation, and we're beginning with chapter 1, verse 1, and let's ask the Lord to help us as we begin this series. Heavenly Father, we beg for your help as we read your word as we seek to understand it and apply it to our lives. May you be our teacher today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation from Jesus Christ. The word revelation, it translates the Greek word apocalypsis, from which we get the word apocalyptic. And the word apocalyptic, or apocalypsis, does not mean uh, helicopters and, and blood moons and, and so on. 
The word simply means, well, let, let me give you a demonstration of what the word means. That's what it means. It, not, not that, but uh, <laughs> it simply means to pull aside the curtain. It's actually a very basic word, a very mundane word. It simply means to pull aside the curtain, to unveil, to show what is behind um, the curtain. And so here we have the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It is his revelation to us. And what we're going to see is that the invisible spiritual realm in which we are immersed, which is affecting everything that, that is happening to us and around us, is going to be unveiled by Jesus. He's going to pull aside the curtains so that we can see what is happening behind the scenes. So that we can make sense of what is going on in the world and what is going on in our church and what is going on in your life. That's why it is such a, a wonderful and important book because Jesus is showing you, revealing to you the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare that is raging around you, but also God's heavenly plans and purposes for you and me and for his church. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The word servants, as almost all of you would know, translates the Greek word doulos, which means slave, which God gave him to show his slaves. If you are a Christian, then Jesus is... The word Lord is, is not just an honoured title. It's actually a very practical word. It means master. And if Jesus is your Lord, then he is your master and you are his slave. That means you belong to him. And that means that you do not your will, but his will. And a Christian delights to do the will of Jesus. And Jesus is a good and kind master who only wants the best for his slaves. It's a delight to be as... In the New Testament... It's an honour to call oneself a slave of Jesus Christ and we should be honoured to call ourselves that. And so it's the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his, his slaves what must soon take place. And I think one of the reasons why we don't gravitate to the book of Revelation, besides so much of its, its seemingly bizarre imagery, is that we have this idea that it's all about the distant future. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, the book of Revelation, uh, I'm not sure if I'm that interested or excited because doesn't it, it explain things that are, are going to happen years, decades, even centuries into the future? But you, we really must take this, this, this seriously here which God gave to show his slaves what must, what must soon take place. In other words, what was about to happen to the churches that this was originally written to. 
And look down there at verse 3. We'll come to it in a moment, but just notice that last clause there, because the time is near. The book of Revelation describes things, not that are in the distant future, but that things that we are about to enter into, things that are close, things that are at hand. And look at verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So the book of Revelation opens the curtains on the spiritual realm so that we can see not what is going to happen, but what is happening. The book of Revelation is mainly concerned with what is happening right now. Yes, it does describe things at the very end of times when our Lord Jesus will return in final judgment, but we should read it with a sense of keen interest and urgency because it is describing what is going on here and now. It's a book for now. Let's keep going there. He made known, uh, which God gave him to show his servants, what, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that little phrase, made it known, it translates a word that literally means to signify. And if you happen to have a King James Bible in front of you, you'll see that word, signify, that he signified the things that were happening and about to happen. And what this means is that the book of Revelation is a book of signs and a book of symbols that it describes. You see, we, we can't see the, the spiritual realm. It's invisible. But we are shown what is in the invisible by symbols, pictures, numbers, so that we can see these things with our mind. Invisible things symbolized in the book of Revelation. And so, um, I, let me just, just pause for just a moment. And I think that there might be some here who are already feeling a little uncomfortable and saying, well, um, if you are saying the book of Revelation is a symbolic book, are you... Preacher, are you taking it seriously then? Are you taking seriously the things that are said here? Shouldn't we be reading everything literally in the Bible, as literal, not as symbolic? Well, let me say that we honour the Bible, we honour God's word when we read it as it was intended to be read. And the book of Revelation makes it very clear right up front that it is a book of signs and symbols that we are shown the invisible spiritual realm, symbolically. And so we are not dishonouring the book of Revelation when we read it that way. We are honouring it. We are reading it the way God intended us to read it. And right at the end of chapter 1, we have this clear confirmation that this is a book of symbols. Because... Uh, 
and, and we, we haven't got up to this yet, but Zach read chapter 1 to us. And we saw this vision of Jesus, didn't we? Walking among what? The, the, the seven lampstands. And in his right hand were seven stars. And now look at verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right at the beginning of the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, we have this key, this key to understanding it, that we will be shown symbols that represent uh, spiritual realities. And so the, 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 the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. The seven stars represent the messengers of those those churches. And so we are taught right up front to read the symbol and to understand what that symbol refers to. And we don't have to guess as to what the symbols refer to because they are all from the Old Testament. They're all there in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament teaches us how to understand and interpret the symbols of the book of Revelation. And my pastor, Ron Nugent, I heard him say it more than once, there's a reason why the book of Revelation is at the end of the Bible. There's a reason why. Because all of its symbolisms, symbols, and symbolic numbers and pictures are taken from what has preceded it. They're all taken, in particular, from the Old Testament. And that, that really takes, takes away a lot of the the heartache and the mystery of trying to understand the book of Revelation if we understand that its symbols are drawn from the Old Testament in particular. Okay. Blessed is the one, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I'm blessed, aren't I? Zach was blessed. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And that word blessed, that beautiful word that appears in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, said our Lord Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The word blessed, it refers to someone who is to be counted as a happy person. The blessed person is the person who should be congratulated. This is a, a, a person who is receiving good things from God. This should be a happy person. And the book of Revelation right at the beginning said... You will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be counted happy. You will be counted as someone to be congratulated if you read it and if you work to understand it and, not stopping there, but take to heart what is written in it. And that, in the, in the original language, it literally means 
to, to keep it, to take hold of it and to keep it. Brothers and sisters, we can't just allow the words of the Bible to wash over us. If we are going to be blessed by God's word, made happy by God's word, then we need to hear it and understand it and take hold of it and keep it and obey it and act on it. Remember the wise man in the Sermon on the Mount? The wise man who built his house on the rock was who? The person who not just heard the words of Jesus, but who heard them and who obeyed them, who put them into action. And so if you want this, this blessing that is promised right here in chapter 1, you want to not just hear it, but to take it to heart. Because the time is near. Again, let me emphasize that this book is describing what is happening here and now. Verse 4, John. And this is the Apostle John. And this is the, the John who wrote the Gospel of John and the three letters of John. If we put all that together, it's one-fifth of the New Testament written by the Apostle John. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And at the time, the province of Asia was a Roman province coinciding with what became known as Asia Minor, which is today part of which country? Turkey. So it's describing a part of Turkey, a region in Turkey. To the seven churches in the province of Asia. And here we are coming up to one of our very first symbols. And it's a symbolic number. It's the number seven. And what does the number seven symbolize? Well, there were seven days of creation. There was a seven-branched candlestick in the tabernacle. The, the number seven in the Bible always stands for completeness. Completeness. And so the complete creation week, seven days... And the seven-branched menorah, which symbolized God's complete and perfect light and truth. And so when we read about seven churches here, what is this indicating to us? What is being symbolized here? If this is being written to the seven churches, it's being written to the complete church. It's for the whole church. It's for every church. It's for God's universal church. And so, yes, it was written initially for seven churches in Asia Minor, and we'll come to that in particular in chapter 2. But it is a book for the whole church. It's a book for all of God's people everywhere at all times. This is a book for Christians in Hobart in 2019. It's a book for Christians who are suffering in China a book for Christians suffering in Syria. It's a book for Christians who will suffer in the future in some other parts of the world. It's a, it's a book for all Christians at all times. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you.
which is how so many New Testament letters begin. Grace and peace to you. And just so you know, I'm going to stop halfway through verse 5. I should have told you that at the start, just so that you get an idea. If you were sitting here thinking, oh, is he going to go this slowly through the entire chapter? Uh, We're just going to go to the first half of verse 5. Grace and peace to you. Now here we have, as it were, the author of the book of Revelation. And what we see is that it was written by our Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And let me just remind you of this glorious truth that there is one God and there are three persons in the Godhead. And Jesus Christ is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. And Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. And the Father is not the Son. Three distinct persons, but one God. Is that... What's the word? Is it, is, it, is it blowing your mind? It should. God should. God is the ocean, and my mind is a teacup. I can't fit God in this little teacup, the ocean of God, and this is far bigger, far beyond what we can imagine. But here we see that the book of Revelation is written by this Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because look there at verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's God the Father, the Eternal One, the Father who was there before creation who stands above, who transcends creation, who was there before time began, who will be there after time wraps up. The Father who sees all of human history like a picture on the wall. He sees the beginning, the middle and the end all at once like a picture on the wall because he made it and he stands outside of it He is the eternal God who was and is and who is to come. The book of Revelation, written by the God who wrote all of history. And then from the seven spirits before his throne. And already we we know what this, this, uh, this number seven means. Completeness, perfection. The seven spirits... Who is the complete and perfect spirit? It's the Holy Spirit, of course, that is being described here. The seven spirits before his throne. The Holy Spirit wrote the book of Revelation. And thirdly, from Jesus Christ, God the Son. And Jesus has three things said about him and we're going to finish with these three things. Three wonderful things. Do do, do you see how this works? The book of Revelation, written by 
our Trinitarian God, the Father who was and is and is to come, the sevenfold Spirit, the perfect and complete Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, and now Jesus Christ, three glorious things said about him in particular. First of all, he is the faithful witness. And that means that whatever Jesus says is true and right, I am the way and the truth and the life, said our Lord Jesus. We live in a world that is so confused what's true, what's false. We're told that all the news we see is distorted, there's fake news. We learn one thing at church, we learn a different thing from the TV and another thing again on the university campus. What is truth? Where's the truth to be found? It's found with the faithful witness, Jesus Christ. And that word witness translates the Greek word martos. What does that sound like? Martos. Sounds like Martyr. And in the New Testament, a martyr is someone who proclaims what they have seen, what they have witnessed. It literally means a witness. So the, 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 the apostles were to be martyrs in that they were to go into all the world and tell the world what they had witnessed with their eyes and heard with their ears and touched with their hands, what they had witnessed about Jesus Christ. How interesting that that word martus, which originally meant witness, came to mean what? Someone who died for their witness. And that's because so many who dare to witness the truth about Jesus Christ come under the attack and persecution of the world. And so many have lost their lives for it. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. That's the first thing said about him. The second is that he is the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. Reminding us that the grave could not keep the crucified body of Jesus within it. God raised him to life. The stone was rolled away. Jesus Christ conquered death. This was so important for the first readers of this book who were dying for their faith. This, this is so important for Christians who are today dying for their faith. Because it's telling them right up front that death is not the end. Death itself has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Right up front, we have this wonderful, wonderful affirmation that although the world may hate you, and although you might lose your job, though you might lose your career, 
though you might lose your reputation, though you might lose your family, though you might lose your life, that you have eternal life with Jesus Christ and nothing and no one can take that from you. The worst that the world can do to you is to kill you and send you to heaven to be with Jesus. That's the worst thing that the world can do to you because he is the firstborn from the dead. By the way, firstborn implying that There'll be lots of others. And the book of Revelation shows us those who have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And it shows us that it is a number that cannot be counted. A number so vast and large that it cannot be counted. And we'll come to that in time. And the third and last thing said about Jesus is that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And again, how vital that the first readers heard this. Because those churches in Asia Minor, being persecuted by the Roman government, Roman governors driving them out of their jobs, putting some in chains, exiling others, killing others, And it looked to the first Christians as though their lives were being defeated by these earthly governors and rulers. And how wonderful that right at the beginning of the book of Revelation that we read that Jesus Christ is king over all kings and lord over all lords, that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Literally the the archon. A-R-C-H-O-N, archon, A-R-C-H, what, what is that, what's that? Arch, it's the high point of the doorway. An architect is the head builder. Got one or two in our church, I think, the head builder. The arch is the person at the top. And Jesus is the arch ruler, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And they are completely... Un- The book of Revelation is saying that if human authorities are frightening you, if they are worrying you, creating uncertainty for you, know that they are under the rule of Jesus. That there is nothing they can do that is outside of the rule of Jesus. There's nothing they can plan that is outside the great and perfect plan of Jesus Christ. And that was so important for the first readers to hear that. And isn't that so important for us to hear that? That Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? He's ruler of the kings of the earth. Well, for some time I had a a strange way of um, finding the address to which I was going when I was in the car. Strange, probably not strange for other men in the room, I'd say. So someone would give me the address, the, the street name and the number, 
And I had two techniques, basically. One was, uh, yes, I know roughly where that is, so drive into the, the general area and hope to see the, 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 the street sign that you're looking for, which caused immense frustration <laughs> for Amanda Sue, sitting next to me. Or the, the, the second approach was to uh, follow another car in the hope that they were going roughly to that, that, that same area as well. It's surprising how often that actually works, but uh, there's many times that it doesn't work as well. And again, this was another cause of, of, of frustration for Amanda Sue. So when we decided that we would drive all the way to Hobart from Perth and that we would live here, she bought me a GPS, a, a TomTom, as they were called at the time. And she bought me a GPS, and this was a wonderful device. They're all on our phones now, but at the time, you put on the windscreen, and it told you exactly where you are and where you are going. And the book of Revelation, brothers and sisters, is doing that. It's unveiling the spiritual realm. It's saying, this is where you are. This is what's going on in your life, and this is where you are going. And it's so important for churches that are suffering, persecution, trouble, and for Christians individually. If you are suffering, you need to know why. What's going on? Why am I suffering? How does this fit in, in God's plan? Where is this all leading? The book of Revelation makes all of that very clear to us through its signs and its symbols. In the book of Revelation, we have a roadmap that we must read and take to heart and keep. And I hope this morning that we have already seen some brilliant things that have been unveiled to us this morning, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And so although your love for Jesus may cost you your reputation, it may cost you your job or career, although your love for Jesus may cost you your property, your liberty, and even your life, as so many Christians today, lose their lives because of Jesus Christ. I hope you've seen today that the curtain has been torn aside and you've seen that Jesus has defeated death. He is the firstborn of those who have defeated death. And you will rise to life. And you will have everything in Jesus Christ. No matter what happens, you have everything in Christ and nothing can be taken from you. And I hope you have seen this morning, the curtain has been pulled aside by this wonderful book of Revelation and that you have seen that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, that he was in absolute control of all that was happening to Christians in Asia Minor in the first century book of Revelation was probably written in about 80 AD. And Jesus was in absolute control of all that was happening. And he is in absolute control of all that is happening in China and in Syria and in North Korea and in Iraq 
and in Hobart, Tasmania. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. There's nothing going on in your life right now that he has not decreed or purposed. So I hope we can all see how blessed, how happy we will be if we read this book and believe it and understand it and take it to heart and keep it. And I look forward to opening it up each week as we gather together, as we work through this wonderful book together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do need you to show us where we are and where we're going. And I pray for us over the coming months as we study this book together that we will see more and more clearly what is going on in the spiritual realm and what you are doing behind the scenes and that we'll see your good and perfect plan for us and that this will help us to make sense of our suffering and the suffering of our brothers and sisters across the world. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will indeed be blessed as we read and study this book together. And we pray in your name. Amen.